Well, folks, like I say, this is the beginning of the story of Abraham. And if you're a fan of television shows or movies, you'll, you'll know all about origin stories. Origin stories are, are a way that are used to explain the, the mindset of a character, the, the background to a character. So if we want to know why a character's acting in a certain way, it's helpful to know what's happened to them in the past. And so uh, the Marvel movies, for example, have origin stories in them. And it's fascinating, isn't it, to, to see that, that the past, how the past impacts somebody in the present. You see how, how each character has come to be formed and how their relationships with other characters are what they are today. In order to understand the present, we need to know the past. And it's true in our lives as well. If, if you want to understand where you are, you need to know where you've been. If we want to understand our place in God's story, in the story of this, this world and where we fit in, we need to know the beginning of the story. We need to know what happened in the beginning, the, the origin of human beings. And that's what the book of Genesis is. It's a book of origins. It tells us where each one of us comes from. It tells us where this world we live in comes from. It tells us the, the universe that this earth is floating in. It tells us where the universe comes from. It tells us about the origin of mankind and explains to us where each one of us as individuals, where do we find our place in this world? How can I understand why I'm here on this earth? The book of Genesis answers those questions for us. We saw that as, as we worked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis last autumn. And folks, the, the pandemic has meant that those are still online. If you want to go and watch them again or you can listen to the podcasts. Remind yourself of the first 11 chapters. But today we're starting a new series. And as we began our Bible reading today, chapter 11, verse 27, told us this is the genealogy of Terah. In other translations, it reads, these are the generations of Terah. And in fact, it's that word genealogy or generations or beginnings in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the word Genesis. And so that's where we get the name of the book. And it's repeated throughout this book of Genesis. It's used as a, almost a division, like a, a marker splitting the book up into sections. And so in chapter 2, verse 4, we, we read about the generations of the heavens and the earth. In chapter 5, we read the generations of Adam. And then chapter 6, the generations of Noah. And then earlier on in chapter 11, verse 10, we had the generations or the genealogy of Shem. So you see that the book is split up into these sections. And those first four sections of Genesis in, in biblical scholarship are known as the primeval history. They teach us about the whole world, about all people everywhere. But then in chapter 11, verse 27, the author of Genesis zooms in. Zooms straight in from the whole world of all people everywhere zooms into one particular family. And so we get in the rest of Genesis what's called the patriarchal history. And we read, this is the genealogy 
of Terah. These are the generations of Terah. And the question, why would Moses do that when he's writing down this book of Genesis? Why would he do that? Why go from all people everywhere to this one family? Well, that's the question that we're going to be looking at over the next few months. So we look at the life of Abraham and and, and this man who we've heard of Abraham, haven't we? We refer to him sometimes as Father Abraham. He's, He's a special man. He's the father of our faith. But what makes him so special? Why bother telling us about Abraham? As we begin the series, what we're going to see is that Abraham himself is not really that special. There's nothing really that special about Abraham. What makes him special is the call and the promise of God on his life. The call and the promise of God. Abraham receives from God an unexplainable call and an impossible promise. An unexplainable call and an impossible promise. And I want us to first of all to look at the unexplainable call. There's an Old Testament scholar who's much cleverer than I am, much more uh, studied in the Old Testament than I am. He's called Dale Ralph Davies. And Dale Ralph Davies says he cannot explain why God would choose Abraham. He can't explain it. We sort of, don't we have this, this view of Abraham we, as this kind of good living, grandfatherly kind of fellow, you know, almost like, like Paul Walton, you know? He's a salt of the earth kind of character, Abraham. But the Bible doesn't present that view of Abraham. What, the, what we uncover as, as we look at his life is that Abraham alternated fairly consistently, fairly consistently between, yes, faithfulness to God and God's plans, but also disobedience. Disobedience to God's word. And Abraham was full of failure because he was selfish and because he was cowardly. Abraham is not someone that God chose because of his worthiness or his righteousness. And there are clues in our passage today to that. If you look at verse 28 of chapter 11, do have your Bible open in front of you. Verse 28 of chapter 11, you see that Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And later on in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, Joshua explains to us exactly what that means. In Joshua chapter 24, God's word says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. They served other gods. Abraham was a pagan. Commentators suggest that given where he was from, it's most likely that Abraham and his family worshipped the moon. They were moon worshippers. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about, about how far from God people have drifted since Noah and his family came off the ark. Noah and his family came off the ark and they're committed to, to loving and to following God. But so many generations later, here we have people worshipping the moon who know nothing of the God of the Bible. 
And yet, God calls Abraham. God calls Abraham, this, this moon worshiper. It's unexplainable. But there it is. It's in black and white in our Bibles, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. An unexplainable call. And yet there it is. God called Abraham to be obedient to God's word. And friends, if God would do this for Abraham... If God would do this for a self-seeking, moon-worshipping, cowardly man, a pagan like Abraham, well then there's nobody, there's not one person who is beyond the gracious love of God. There's not one person who is beyond God's forgiveness. There's nobody here today, nobody in this room, who God will refuse to call because of your personal history. It's an unexplainable call. It came to Abraham. But it also comes to you today. God's call comes to you to follow him. He calls you, in the words of Christ, to take up your cross and follow him. Why would God choose you? I don't know. I can't explain it. Why would God choose me? I don't know can't explain it. Just like the call of Abraham, our call into the Christian life is unexplainable. There's a hymn that I used to sing growing up. I don't know if you know it. It's, it's a reflection on Second Timothy chapter 1. And the hymn goes like this. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, nor why unworthy as I am he claimed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. <laughs> Friends, Abraham could have sung that hymn. Abraham could have written that hymn. I know not why. Are those our words? We can't explain why God would choose us. Why would God call me to trust in him by faith? I don't know why calls me. I don't know why he calls you, but I can assure you today that God is calling you right now. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you just as Abraham did to be obedient to his word, to put your hope and your trust in him to step out. You might be thinking, how do I know that? How can I be sure? Abraham heard the very voice of God. Come on, Jimmy, Abraham heard God speaking. We have it there, and it's right through the passage. The Lord had said to Abraham, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said. You might be thinking to yourself, if only I could hear that. If only I had the audible voice of God. Well, then I would know that God is calling me. I would know what he's calling me to do. I have to tell you, friends, we are in a far better position today than Abraham was. In terms of the history of the people of God, we are in a far better place than Abraham. Think about what it was that Abraham had as revelation from God. He had a few sentences. That's all he had, a, a few sentences. Now that was sufficient for Abraham. But it wasn't the full counsel of God. 
It wasn't God's complete revelation of himself to mankind. And that's what we have. We have God's complete and full revelation in the Bible. As Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, we have the prophetic word, the, the word of the Old Testament, confirmed. You see, Abraham looked forward to the Messiah. Abraham looked forward to the coming of the Christ who would save him from his sins. But we can look back. We can look back to, to genuine human history, to a real and true history. And we can see that Jesus has come. That he's died for our sins according to, to the scriptures. That, that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We have the words of the Old Testament confirmed in Jesus. Now if Abraham, who only had a few sentences, followed the word from God, how much more should we? who have the whole Bible, who have the whole counsel of God, how much more should we follow it in our lives? So that's the call. An unexplainable call of God to follow him. But what exactly was it that Abraham followed? What was the word that came? And that's the, the second thing I want us to notice in this passage. Remember we've said what made Abraham special was the call and the promise of God. There was an unexplainable call but also an impossible promise. Now look, I don't want to oversell this, but God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that is absolutely central to the whole Bible. It's central to the Christian faith. This promise is known as the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant of grace. And it's repeated throughout the Abraham narrative in Genesis. And for sure, we will be coming back to it throughout the series. In chapter 12, verse 1, God asks Abraham to leave three things. Do you see that? Three things. He calls him out of his country, his people, and his father's family. It's an emphatic command. It could have been said as simply as, leave your country. But there's three things God calls Abraham away from, and that strengthens it. In fact, the English translation we have in our Bibles still doesn't give enough force, I don't think, to the Hebrew. The, the Hebrew literally translates, get you yourself out of your country, your people, and your father's house. Parents, you'll know this if, if your ch children are ever in trouble. You'll say to them, get you yourself out of there. That's what God's saying to Abraham. Get you yourself out. And it's so important that Abraham leave all three of these things behind because the three things that he's to leave behind are matched by a threefold promise from God. The promise is, like I say, central to the storyline of the entire Bible. It's central to our existence as Christians. And since it's so important, there are people who are cleverer than me and they've made it easy for us to remember. And they use that, that great device that ministers so often use, the three Ps. So the promise that God makes to Abraham have three Ps, a place, a people, and God's presence. Do you see that there in chapter 12? Go to the land that I will show you. God promises Abraham a place. Just like he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, so he promises to give Abraham a place. 
verse 2 of chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. God not only promises to give Abraham a place, but he promises to make him into a people. And then finally, also in chapter 2, God says, I will bless you. God promises he will bless Abraham. And the greatest blessing is God's presence. I will bless you with my presence. God will be with him. And notice as well in, in these verses who it is that will accomplish this. It's not Abraham who will give himself a place or a people. In verses 2 and 3, the, 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 the phrase I will is used five times. It's really significant. God would do this for Abraham because to Abraham and to us, this seems impossible. Why is it so impossible? Well, the clues are in the passage. Take verse 30 of chapter 11. Sarai was barren. That's probably all we need to know, isn't it? But Moses sort of twists the knife after he's put it in. Not only was Sarai barren, he goes further, she had no children. Just in case you weren't sure. Now, how is it possible that God is going to make Abraham into a people when his wife is barren? They have no children. Yet, God's promise is he will make Abraham into a great nation. And so we see here the the power of God to work in situations which seem humanly impossible. From a barren woman and an elderly man, God is going to make a great nation. What about the place? Well, the place they're to go to is Canaan. A a place, we're told later in the Bible, is a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what that means? That the milk and the honey, well, milk symbolizes the the goodness of the ground. The ground is good for growing grass and growing crops that you can feed livestock. and, And that's where people will get their milk from. So it's a land flowing with milk. But it's also a land flowing with honey. Not only... Is there good ground for growing crops? It's, it produces flowers, beautiful flowers for bees. Not only is it fertile, it's beautiful. And in, in many ways, when we read this about Canaan in the Bible, we're to think of a picture of the Garden of Eden, a beautiful and fertile land. So God calls Abraham to go to the land he will show him. And notice the difference between Abraham and his father. The end of chapter 11, we read about Terah. They set out for Canaan, his family and he, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. And then Terah died. But Abraham, on the other hand, well, well, he set out for Canaan. And then you can see in verse 5 of chapter 12, they got to Canaan. They, they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham obeyed the word of God, unlike his father. He did what the Lord called him to do. Then, of course, we see the problem. Why is this impossible? Well, God has promised Abraham a place, a a land which is fertile and beautiful. But the problem's there at the end of verse 6. Canaan is full of Canaanites. Not only is this promise impossible, the, the promise of a people impossible, but The promise of land is also impossible because it's filled with people. It's already already got occupants. Imagine somebody drove you up to a house that was owned by somebody else and said, I'm going to give you this house. And there's people already living in it. 
That would seem like an impossible promise, wouldn't it? The call of God is unexplainable. The promise of God is impossible. How do we resolve those things? Well, whenever we remember the last P, God's presence. God is with Abraham. The whole thing comes together in verse 7 of chapter 12. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. In that one statement, God tells Abraham of all three Ps. To your descendants, to people, I will, God's presence, give this land place. So the fact that God is with him, the the truth that God is ever present, and that it's God who will keep and fulfill his promise, well, that makes all the difference. Friends, how amazing is it for us that we see all three Ps fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The original readers of Genesis would have been reading since chapter 3, wouldn't they? They, they would have just been reading through or, or hearing it read. And remember in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, God promised that he would send a seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan. And so ever since then, people would have been, their ears would have been listening for the seed of the woman. Well, here he is. What does God say to Abraham? To your descendants, to your seed, I will give this land. And it's in Jesus Christ that God fulfills the promise of his presence, of making us into his people and giving us a place. In Christ, we are a people for his own possession, a people who, like Abraham, have been called out of this world to live not by faith but by sight. And so you and I can sing today, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. Because through the saving blood of Jesus, we are included in the line of Abraham. We are children of Abraham through faith in the same God. We are the great nation that God promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. In Christ, we have the presence of God with us, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the one who makes God known to us. God is ever present through Jesus. And then also through Jesus, we have the promise of a place fulfilled. It's helpful to know, friends, that Abraham never settled in Canaan. He never fully settled there. Notice what verse 8 says. He moved there from the mountain from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. Why did he put up a tent? You know what it means that he put up a tent? It means he wasn't planning on staying very long. Isn't that why you put up a tent? If you were going to stay somewhere, well you'd start to dig foundations. But he didn't dig foundations, he put up a tent. You see, Abraham knew that Canaan wasn't his ultimate destination. Scripture interprets Scripture for us. And Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he waited For a city which has foundations, whose builder 
and maker is God. Abraham knew that he couldn't live in Canaan forever. He looked forward to a better city, a permanent city. A city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham lived by faith in the world as a stranger, looking forward to the heavenly city. I'm going to finish, I'm going to wrap up here because I think there's application for us. Look at what the passage tells us God, sorry, Abraham did in response to God's promise. Verse 7, Abraham built an altar to the Lord. What did he do? Well, he lived as a stranger, dwelling in tents. Verse 8, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He called upon this God who makes unexplainable calls and impossible promises because he was ever present with Abraham through worship. That's why Abraham built an altar, so he could worship God. At the center of Abraham's life, at the very center of who he was and what he did, there was one thing that didn't change. One thing that was constant and sure. His life was so uncertain, he was going out to a place he didn't know. But through it all, there was one thing that was constant. God was ever present to be worshipped. Friends, we live in a world that is not our home. We are strangers here and we shouldn't feel at home here. We're only pitching tents on the way through. We're called out of the world. Pilgrims. Working and and walking together as as God's people in the church. But we're not seeking this place. We're, We're seeking a better city. A permanent city. One which has foundations. Whose architect and builder is God. We're like Abraham, aren't we? We live among Canaanites. We interact with people every day who don't know Jesus. We make friends with them. We we talk to them. But we're going somewhere different. This is not our home. Here we are at the beginning of a new school year. If the last year and a half has taught us anything, it's that nobody knows what lies ahead for any one of us. Who knows what joys or trials we will have in the year ahead. But the constant for us is that God is present with his people. Just like Abraham, we need something that will ground us in this life. Something that will center us. Something that doesn't change. Well, the presence of God, as we gather together with his people to worship him in public, weekly. Knowing that God is here with us. Doesn't that give us something to rely on? Knowing that, that when we're in our homes, we can open our Bibles and hear from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Doesn't that ground us? Knowing that when we read the Bible and pray with our families, we are worshipping the God who doesn't change and he is with us through that worship. And it connects us with everybody else in this room, with all other Christians across the world and the Christians through the ages, it connects us right back to the beginning, to the origin story of our faith, to Abraham, 
who called upon the name of the God of God, a God who makes unexplainable calls and impossible promises. Let's come before him now in prayer. Let's pray to our God.